It is 11.03. Dr. Payne Show. Dr. Lou is here. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on sale if you have issues, pain problems, physical questions. It's the Father's Day edition, so we're going to talk about repetitive injuries like the golf swing and the golf swing Ooh, and the golf swing the golf and the golf swing. swing. That's what's destroying me right now. Yeah, the Freddie couples. Yeah, yeah that's that very times. true. Any of the repetitive strain sprain right? for sure. Yeah, and we went over that last week. It doesn't really matter. Uh, repetitive strain sprain, people think you have to be a factory worker to, to sustain repetitive yep. strain sprain. Everything we do is repetitive sprain strain, whether it's, you know, you're sitting all day or you're you're an amateur athlete or even a professional athlete. Often all of these activities will entail the same biomechanic um type of uh, pattern and in doing so you're you're sustaining repetitive strain sprain so for sure also for the weekend warriors the people that are getting back as the weather gets warmer mm-hmm. they're probably getting back out and uh, doing more of the sports and the things that they enjoy doing whether that's golf or tennis or whatever it may be and they're sustaining injuries that's absolutely uh you know fair fair par for the course i guess we could say um and you know i mean we we've talked about before that when you do sustain these injuries, if you want to keep doing what you love to do, you got to get it looked at sooner rather than later. And, you know, your body's pretty good at initially, uh, you know, healing or let's quote unquote healing itself um, in order to so that you can continue doing what you have to do. But it doesn't often, uh, you know, continue that way in the long term. And so right. a lot of people will sustain injuries when they're younger. And then again, you know, and, and it very much depends for some people. It could be six months later, all of a sudden it comes back and it's really bad for some people. It could be five years, 10 years. It, no one knows for sure what, when those things might rear their ugly head again. But the reality is that, yeah, unfortunately these types of injuries do um, end up coming back later on in life. And I mean, you know, with the knee clinic initiative that we've been doing now in 2018, the amount of people that I see with knee issues that when you're talking to them and they say, yeah, I hurt my knee when I was back in my 20s or 30s. And now they're at the point where they're in their 50s and they're, they've got severe yeah. osteoarthritis. And I mean, that's something, you know, we should really highlight here. Anytime you hurt an area of the body, that area is likely to wear down faster than an area that you haven't hurt. So if you've rolled your ankle a lot of times or sprained your ankle a bunch of times or hurt your knee a bunch of times those areas will likely degenerate quicker than areas that don't undergo those same types of injuries. And again, we've, you know, when we've, when we've talked a lot about the spine and we talk about degenerative disc disease, which is just arthritis of the back, you know, I've often said, and and I say it because that's what the research supports is that it's a 50, 50, maybe, maybe the arthritis is the reason for your pain. Maybe it's not because there's plenty of people out there that have pain in their back, but don't have arthritis. Um, and there's a lot of people with really severe arthritis, if you look on an x-ray, but they don't necessarily have pain. Yeah, so yeah. It, the correlation is not very good. It's about 50-50. However, when we look at the lower extremity and we look at the knee and the hip, you know, when the, when the arthritis becomes severe enough, it, it's severe enough. I had a, it was pretty funny, I had a lady, I, I think this was about two weeks ago, and, and usually I, I look at everybody's birth date to realize how old they are sure. and whatnot. I had this lady who came in with her daughter, um, and this lady to me looked like she was late fifties. And so, you know, she was talking about, and I never asked, you know, and I, and for whatever reason, it slipped my mind to actually look at the, um, at the, at the paper to see, you know, what her actual age was. And so we sent her for an x-ray and it came back. We looked at it. I said, yeah, you've got a moderate degree of osteoarthritis. I said, you, you know, you're, you're going down the, the track that, you know, eventually you might need a knee replacement here. It doesn't look that bad yet, but you know, once this becomes bone on bone, 
you know, she's like, well, at what age, you know, should I consider that? Oh, don't tell me she's 30. No, no, no. And <laughs> the opposite. And so I said, well, you know, you seem young. I, I said, I would wait until, you know, you're you're well into your 60s if you can, because it's not really that bad. And she said, my 60s. She said, I'm 95 years old. Holy cow. Yeah, incredible. She looked amazing. I couldn't believe it. Like, it, I was stunned. I, I've never seen someone who was 95. So as soon as she told me she was 95, I said, get out. You're totally yeah. fine. I'll have what she's <laughs> yeah, having. Yeah. yeah. If, if the worst that you have at 95 is a little bit of moderate knee osteoarthritis Seriously. that, you know, looks like what I've seen in people that are 40, you're doing absolutely fine. So, and, and that's what I mean. That's where it really depends. But if you're 30 or 40 and you have that type of osteoarthritis, mm-hmm. well then, yeah, maybe you're moving towards the, you know, needing some type of, uh, uh, you know, and again, we, we there are things that we can do to delay or prevent. Well, I shouldn't say prevent, but definitely delay, delay. having the, the knee replacement. But, you know, if you've got bone on bone, and there are some people that I see, and often people want to wait until it is, uh, until they're older in order to get these. But, you know, I think Dr. Bergava said it best when we had him on. The only person that really decides when you should have a surgery is you. And if, yep. and if your pain is that bad or you're suffering that much, you're impaired for whatever reason because of how bad the osteoarthritis is, well, then maybe it is time for you get to her have, done. get her done. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, you might have to get it done again in the future, but that you shouldn't have to suffer if you can, especially if you've tried the other things, right? If you've tried everything where you've been able to you know, trying to prevent or delay this, but you've still got pain, you've got inflammation, uh, then maybe it's time, whether that means you're 40 or 50, but unless you want to live the next 10 or 15 years in excruciating pain. The thing with the knees is they're so important for everything, right? Because if you if your knees are um, that bad, you usually these people can't walk, yep. and that starts to affect your cardiovascular health. And you don't want to be getting yeah. into your 40s, 50s, and 60s and have an effect on your cardiovascular health, right? Like, th- that that's the very dangerous thing, too. And that's why the body is so important to keep healthy. That's why it's not just about, you know, the knee pain itself. It's also about the sequelae of things that can happen if you become inactive because of an injury. And oftentimes, those things are the cardiovascular events that can happen. And movement and exercise is very important in preventing them. We'll talk about that, more of that, and seasonal stuff as well. If you have any phone calls, pain, questions, you're in pain, you want some answers, 416 870 6400 star 640 on sale. Dr. Payne Show continues. Global News Radio 640 Toronto. It is 1112 416 870 6400 star 640 on sale. You want to call through? You got some issues and uh, you want to know what's going on? Get some answers. Dr. Oh. Uh, Dr. Lucy Earl. Uh, we had a caller said, uh, wants to know the ideal weight for the knee in surgery. Ideal weight. I guess they're talking about, yeah. Well, I mean, ideal weight very much depends on a lot of things like right. what's the person's height and, and weight. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, if you got a ton of muscle mass, you're going to be heavier than right. you would be on a on a BMI scale, and maybe you. That's qualify. why BMI is not that great. Yeah, right? it's not that yeah. great. It's it's not bad either. It, I mean, the good thing about BMI is it just gives you an objective measure now. And the thing is, it's not a standalone, right? Any type of healthcare professional can look at a BMI and say, well, you know, this isn't reflective. Obviously, you don't fall within obese if if you've got someone right. who's a bodybuilder, right? So, uh, but you know, I mean. It's a very, very hard question to answer because, uh, again, it depends on so many variables. But I think 
the the fitter that you can be, the better. Obviously, I think that goes without saying. Uh, now the question becomes that what is the baseline level? Like, what is the the minimum level that you need to be? Um, and I'm not really sure. I mean, I think it's a good question. I could talk to some of the surgeons that I work with to see if there's kind of something that they use where they say, yeah, anybody that's overweight by X amount of pounds or whatever, we, we will refuse to do that. Um, but I think it's very, very important. Actually, speaking about weight, I had an email um, from someone who was saying that they had knee pain, but they, right. in their email, they said they were severely obese. I think something like um, 350 pounds and, and 411, right? Like, I mean, that's going to cause knee pain, right? That's like but, wider than taller. That's, that's, that's big. Yeah. That, it's, yeah. I mean, and, and that's, that's very, very important for yeah. people to realize. And I mean, I think they finished off the email by saying they had lost like 20 pounds or 25 pounds or something, but they were still having knee pain. Well, of course, you're still having knee pain. Yeah. I mean, you're still, I think it's great that you've lost that much weight, but you still have a big way to go. So sure. if your knee pain has proportionally gone down to what you've proportionally lost, then that kind of makes sense. Uh, but I think, you know, from my clinical experience, I think even when people are like something like 20 or 30 pounds overweight, it definitely affects their knees more. I think it also depends at what age level you're at. Do you have other problems? Like, do you also have hip problems, ankle problems, low back pain? So you know, I I don't think it's going to take a huge amount of weight to start feeling more more knee pain. But I would I would encourage anybody, um, you know, that has to go for surgery that you know getting some type of prehabilitation or getting ready for that surgery physically is very very of important. Yeah. And who was it that I saw this week that I recommended? They so I had I had a person who had had. Um, severe back problems for like the last 20 years and and has been listening to the show and said finally you know what I want to start the rehab program I want to get in there I want to do the exercises that I have to do I've heard you before and, and I've heard you say Smart. that that's the thing and, and it was great but when I was speaking to this person they were ready to start all this I said what's your day like and pretty much they sit all day so before you start any exercise whatsoever before I send you to one of the physios to do all the work that you got to do I want you walking at least 30 minutes three or four times a week yeah just to uh, start and, and that doesn't, you know, people say, well, I think I walk 30 minutes, like I track it and and in my day. No, no, no. I want you to set aside 30 minutes, every, you know, three or four times a week. If you have to, if you need, if you want to start getting healthy and you're not there yet, the first thing you got to do, and this is what the research supports, is three to four times a week for 30 minutes, moderate intensity exercise. That doesn't mean you have to go for a run or anything. Just hit it the also, path and walk. Correct. And it also yeah. doesn't mean, you know, walk and, and just stop. It means walk to the point. There's something called, uh, what was it called? I can't remember. I remember I used to learn it in undergrad, but essentially it's the talk test where if you're able to talk to someone and you're not exerting yourself, you're not you're not hitting that minimum level. You should be to the point where if you and I are walking, John, that I'm starting to run out of breath and I yeah. and I want to say to you, hey, yeah. I, I can't talk to yeah. you right now because I'm running out of breath. That's that's what you need for cardiovascular health. Now, obviously, if we're talking about weight loss and other things, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about baseline cardiovascular health. You should be walking 30 minutes, um, uh, 30 minutes three to four times a week at a moderate intensity. And it, it all goes back to that stress curve that we've talked about so many times on the show where if you don't have enough stress, it's not good for you. And if you have too much stress, it's equally not good for you. That's why, you know, there's some debate about like the marathon runners and things like that. Once yeah. you start becoming excessive in the exercise can also potentially be da dangerous towards uh, other things as well. So, but I, again, we're not, and I'm, and that's not me bashing marathon runners. I think it's great if you can do all that. I'm just talking to the people who want to have that baseline health. You need to be in that moderate level 
of stress. And that means you need to be doing that and you need to be setting aside. I think it's very important that you set aside that time. And, you know, people say, well, I don't have the time, right? That's just, you're not prioritizing that yes. time is what it is. It's it, everyone can find the time, right? It's, yep. it's all about how important is it to you? If you choose for it to not be that important, well then, then so you won't be, find the time. So be it. But, but if it is important, you will find the time. And I think everybody can go through ups and downs in that where, you know, sometimes you're good and sometimes you're bad. I think really, I think it all comes down to moderation for sure. Um, it's really about, I guess, trying to be good more often than you are bad. And I think that's consistent with diet, with exercise, all those things and being cognizant of the things that, you know, you put into your body, that you do to your body. And again, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy yourself every now and then, but you should try to be good uh, more often than than you are bad, but and that's equivalent with exercise. But baseline, so I think that's kind of um, my best answer for someone who's saying, "What's my ideal weight before knee surgery?" I guess it also depends what type of knee surgery, right? Like, are you yeah. just having a simple scope where you know it's gonna you're gonna probably be mobile within a few days, or are you having something like Greg had done where they're fully reconstructing an ACL? Then then I think those two things become different. But I will ask Dr. Bergavin, Dr. Gordon on what they believe an ideal or what what at least is the minimum that they would consider. Like at what point do they say, no, I won't operate on someone if they weigh more than X amount over, you know, their ideal body weight. Oh, and, and I think a lot of it's, uh, you know, dedication to oneself. You, you mentioned, you know, 30, 30 minutes of a, of a good walk three times a week. Make sure it's an honest 30 minutes. I mean, how many times we, I mean, you and I both go to the same gym. We've heard, oh, I know I spend an hour a day in the gym on the elliptical. You go there and there's a novel yeah. open up in front of them or yeah, a magazine. Yeah, yeah. Or they're talking if to you someone for 25 minutes. Well, you're actually, no, <laughs> you ain't doing it, son. Yeah, that's not I, happening. I, yeah, I guess I, I don't know how that's even possible, and no. I don't even know how that's good for your neck and all those yeah. other things, that's for sure. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think it's just about being honest with with yourself. And again, we're not talking about here, how do you achieve optimal performance? This isn't a show about, you know, for elite athletes, and, and that's a different story. I get, We're just talking about baseline health, and the baseline cardiovascular health is 30 minutes three to four times a week right. of moderate intensity exercise. And you can achieve moderate intensity in whatever way, as long as you're, you know, kind of running out of breath. That's, yeah, that's moderate sure. intensity. 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. If you got problems, issues, pain problems, something's uh, piqued your interest as far as our conversation thus far, call us. Love to talk to you. Dr. Payne Show continues right here. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It is 1121. You still have plenty of time to get your questions asked, opinions 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. I should mention as well, you want to get a hold of Dr. Lou when the show is not here. Info at paincarecanada.com and one eight five 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 five. Dr. Lou, D-R-L-O-U. That is right. That's People still, still get confused on how to spell that. Dr. Lou. Yeah. D-R-L-O-U. <laughs> yeah, well. Like Lou's in bathroom? What are they thinking? Like I don't know. Or maybe they're trying L-U mm. only. But, I mean, at that point, you should realize you're one number short, right? So there's only so many. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> so you can't really, you know, right. you can't dial if you don't Why is it not ringing? Number. Yeah. One more number. Um, yeah. Also with the email, sometimes I'll, uh, you know, another thing I should bring up, sometimes I get emails that, you know, have attachments with x-rays and MRIs. I can't review that stuff unless you're a patient of mine. That's that's one thing I want to make clear. You know, if you want to come in for an assessment, absolutely. Uh, but if you're sending me that, you can send it to me just kind of if you really want to add it in. But I won't review it and I won't comment on it unless I've seen you. And, and you know, it, it has to be done through due diligence, right? So some people kind of call and they just want to be told 
over the phone, like what's wrong with them? Mm -hmm. That's that's not going to happen. No. That's not what the free consultation is. Um, it's it's really about you know figuring out are you on the right path. A lot of people are calling. You know, Greg's a good example. Greg called me after he had the knee surgery. He was seeing a physio, um, and he was telling me what they were doing. And he said, "What do you think?" And I said, "I think you're doing everything that's right. Yeah, like have I, a nice just day. just continue yeah. doing the work that you're doing with that physiotherapist." I don't think I can add anything or my team can add anything to you. If you're on the right track, you're on the right track. Some people call me and they're on the totally wrong track. Some people have bad healthcare teams or bad healthcare professionals mm -hmm. that they're dealing with. And that's unfortunate. And I mean, I think that's the reality in every type of profession is that you're going to have good and bad. Um, and when that's the case, you know, that that's another thing, I guess, that a lot of times on the show, we talk about where people say like where not that I'm blaming, but sometimes, you know, people I'll say, have you done the rehabilitation exercises? And it's like, no. And, you know, maybe people assume that we're blaming the individual. A lot of times the clinics aren't telling people to do this right. stuff. They're just, you know, Greg, before he left, was talking about how his physio discharged him from care. Yeah. After basically saying at this point, you know, I'm only taking your money. Yeah, the tank is uh, full. You're doing the right yeah, thing. Yeah, you're doing the right things. Continue. But that's great. And that physiotherapist is not part of my network, nothing. But that's the type of professionals you want. That's the type of people you want to deal with where they're honest, where they're not, you know, and, and they don't realize that that's going to go much longer than, you know, ripping someone off for another three or four treatments that they don't need. Because I'm sure when someone asks Greg about a physiotherapist in Oakville, He's going to got the best one. Yeah, Here's exactly. And that, and that's the way it works. It's yeah. about doing um, the right thing for, for the patients. And I mean, there's a lot of great professionals out there. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of doing your research and talking to people. Obviously, if, if you're unsure and you, you want to speak with me, I'm happy to do that. I have a network of providers all across Ontario that I can refer people to um, for the right type of care, yeah. which is important. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale, right till 12 o'clock. Got lots of time. Got uh, Joan. Hi, Joan. Good, uh, good morning. Hi. How are you? Okay. Thank you. Okay. What's um, going on? I have ataxia, cerebellum ataxia, and I want to know what is the correct uh, exercise I can do without well, cause I'm, because I'm so limited. Now, do you mean exercises that you can do just in general to stay healthy or specifically for the ataxia? Well, I don't know. Whatever you can tell me on either. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, if you have cerebellar ataxia, that, then that's... that. So for those of... Of the people listening, yeah, ataxia is unsteadiness, where you're unable to coordinate okay. your movements. Um, the cerebellum is the little part of the brain that kind of hangs off the back, which coordinates our movements. And I mean, the best way to realize what the cerebellum does is if you've looked ever, you know, been with a one-year-old or a newborn and you ask them to point to something or touch their nose, they're kind of unable to do that. They can't, they don't have they're that developed. fine motor skill and yet to coordinate that. And, you know, there's different types of pathologies and diseases and just sometimes aging could lead to cerebellar ataxia again, where you lose that ability to coordinate. And it's, you know, very important because in Joan's case, you probably have difficult walking and balancing. Is that right, Joan? Correct. Yeah. And so, yeah, and this is, you know, and, and again, it often comes down to what is causing it. You're saying cerebellar ataxia. Did they say what the reason for that is? Is it just genetics? Just genetics, yeah. So, I mean, at this point, she's having problems with coordinating. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest thing, and how old are you, Joan? Uh, 73. 73. So, you know, at that age and with that, obviously, we, we need to be uh, cognizant of the risk of fall, right? And And falls that could be potentially, you know, very, very dangerous, like hip fractures, things like that. So 
you know, walking is probably not the best idea, but if you are going to walk, I'm sure you're already using walking aids like a walker or something like that, something that helps you balance. Uh, but one thing that I often will recommend to a lot of people, and it's actually very good for and anyone that's a little bit older, stationary pedals. Um, now, obviously, over the over the radio, it's hard for me to describe that. But you know, if you're near a computer, just type in stationary pedals okay. on Google. They're just the pedals that you put on the ground. You can put it in front of your couch, and it's just like a bicycle. Like a little it, piece of a bike. It's a little piece of a bike. Wow. It's absolutely incredible because for people who are older, for a multitude of different reasons. So I've seen people that are talking about they have really bad arthritis and they mm. want to keep their cardiovascular health up and they need to do something. I recommend that. The reason why I also like it is you can do it all the time. You can do it when you're sitting at your couch watching TV. Yeah. If you know you're going to be at a dinner table with family for an extended period uh, and and you're not necessarily going to get up and move around. Blood flow is really important. So, I mean, Joan, obviously I would have to assess you in order to make any specific recommendations, but from a... You know, the, the stationary cycle tends to be very, very safe. You know, be be careful with where you're using it. You should be using it on a couch or somewhere where, you know, you're or on a chair somewhere where you're stable and you can't fall. But I think that's a great piece of equipment that anybody that is over 70 years old should have because it's just really important. Even if you have no problems, just put it in front of your couch. And instead so, of just sitting down and watching TV, you're also doing a little bit of exercise. Similar to a stationary bicycle? Well, a stationary bicycle is where it's actually a bicycle that just doesn't move. So these are just stationary pedals, right? Because a cycle, for you with ataxia, also sitting on some type of a bicycle, you're going to have an issue with balance. So and it could be to, uncomfortable too. And it could be uncomfortable. You need something with a much wider uh, base to support you. So that's why the stationary pedals. You can sit on a, on a chair that you're comfortable in, on your couch, anywhere where you can keep that type of balance. Pretty is cool. Uh, very, very important. Okay, and what about the, uh, I heard you say about walking 30 minutes, three times a week. Okay, hang tight, Joan. We'll, 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 yeah, hang on, Joan. We'll, uh, we'll get back to you and your phone calls as well. you still got lots of time. 416-870-6400, star 640. On your cell, Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio 640, Toronto. It is 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. Joan, I'm going to let you go here, but you had one more question before we do so. I What's that? I just wondered if the... Uh, Three times a week, walking for 30 mm -hmm. minutes would be good for me. Well, no, we just went through this, Joan. So walking is potentially something that is, again, you, when I say that, I mean that's for the ideal healthy person. Obviously, right. if you have things like a, a cerebellar issue. ataxia going on, yeah. then, then no, we need to modify it, which is why I'm recommending the stationary pedals instead. We'll get to, uh, to Les. Hey, Les, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. What's going on? Um... Right, right knee. Okay. Yep. yep. Okay, I'm just trying to turn off. I'm pulling over to the side of the road here. Smart. Good. Okay. Um, right knee on the inside, very, very painful. Mm -hmm. um, but all my ligaments, muscles, right from the ankle right up to my hip are sore. There's no swelling. There's no water. Nothing like that, but extremely painful. Okay. Is, is, is a stationary bike good to work on those muscles, or will it damage the knee more than what's going on? Again, I, my recommendation for the stationary pedal is, is more for the cardiovascular effect that you can keep healthy. Whether it can help with a specific injury or not, I would have to assess your specific 
pain and injury and figure out what exactly is going on. Could it potentially help? Sure. Could it also potentially not help? Yes. Could it also make things worse? Equally, yes. I, I would need to l take a look at your knee, go through a proper assessment um, in order to really comment on what the best intervention is. You know, in general, I would say that it's very unlikely that something like that stationary pedal that I was recommending would, you know, worsen many things. So overall, it is something that is very safe. But again, it's hard for me to say that 100% of the time, it's never going to hurt. And, and it's even harder to say that it will help with someone's issues. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's the bone on bone or anything like that. It's well, just like I mean, doesn't feel that that that's... You have to look. Yeah, you you can you know even it's you said something about there's no swelling. A lot of people there's a special way to look for swelling in the knee. And although yeah, you may you may be right. Maybe your knee's not a massive balloon. That doesn't mean that there's no swelling. Yeah. Um. And and that's why having a professional look at those things is always much more valuable than you know. And your your input is obviously important, but you know it doesn't feel like or you don't notice something doesn't necessarily mean those things aren't there. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, I appreciate your help. Thanks, no Thanks Les. Appreciate it. Again, one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U. Moving forward, or info at paincarecanada.com. Georgie, hello. Good morning. Hello. What's going on? Yeah. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Good, uh, brother. Hey, listen. Uh, my mom just had hip surgery, right? Okay. And then, uh, you were talking about the stationary pedals. Yes. Mm -hmm. Could she use that? Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that's I may I may, start, I may have started I may have started something pretty bad with these stationary these pedals. Things, brother. Yeah, so yeah. so what I'm saying again, let me reiterate this with the stationary pedals is for people who are older for in there's yeah, no other issue fish. going on. It's a good way to maintain cardiovascular health. When it comes to specific types of things, like in your mom's case, she's had hip surgery. Yeah. I would follow, number one, whatever the recommendation was from the surgeon who did the hip surgery, which was okay. probably to go see some type of physiotherapist or somebody yeah. to get some treatment. And I would run by any specific things after surgery by the person in charge of your rehab. So I think you can ask the physiotherapist and say, hey, I heard about these stationary pedals. Yeah. Do you think that's potentially a good idea? But can I you know, say in general that stationary pedals are good for people who've had some type of hip surgery? I don't know. It very much depends on the extent of the surgery, how the person's recovering, yeah. what the exact issue was. There's so many things there. Okay, okay. okay. Um, and also, uh, she's having, like, uh, stomach, uh, like, gases and stuff like that. Could that be from, from the uh, pills and everything she's taking? Is she on any anti-inflammatories? Yeah, she is. Yeah, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatories can cause... Um, GI issues, so that is that is a potential. And again, I I would I would address that with whoever the prescribing physician was. Okay. 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 Thanks, buddy. No yeah, problem. Great show, eh? uh, thanks, Thank George. You. Appreciate the uh, the kind words, my brother Sergio. Hello. How are you? Hi, guys. How are you? Great. Good. Good. Thanks, man. What's going on? So I had a question about the uh, ulnar nerve entrapment. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. About a year ago, I started feeling some uh, numbness in my right arm and some pain in my upper back. Um, I've been to a neurologist and I've had three MRIs and an ultrasound and, uh, I'm on, uh, uh, okay. which, which helps. I mean, it, I still get the, the symptoms of numbness and freezing in my pinky finger and the one next to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, I don't want to stay on these pills cause I know that they can be hard on your liver and kidneys. I'm just wondering 
if there's anything else I can do because something, nothing's uh, seemed to help so far. So my first question is you were diagnosed with ulnar nerve entrapment. Where is the entrapment? I wasn't, I wasn't diagnosed with it. I think okay. that's what they're trying to diagnose. Uh, but I've had a cervical MRI. I've had an arm MRI. And I just recently had an MRI, I guess, somewhere around my collarbone because the neurologist said that there was a bunch of nerves there that could be causing uh, uh, the issue, the yep. numbness. Okay, so you're on. So, so then that's so that's step one, right? You right now we know your symptom is that you have numbness and tingling, neurological symptoms in your pinky. Your pinky is innervated by the ulnar nerve, which tells right. us you have an ulnar nerve uh, uh, radiculopathy. So there's there's some type of pain happening in that nerve. What needs to be figured out is what exactly is causing that. Could it be entrapment at the wrist itself? Could it be entrapment at the at the elbow where the ulnar nerve passes? Could it be tight muscles somewhere in the arm? Could it be somewhere in the brachial plexus, which you've had assessed, or somewhere in the neck? So I think step one is you need to figure that out. A neurologist's job is oftentimes very much to figure out if it's something really bad. Is Could it be, you know, and even actually going even further than just the neck, you can have different types of diseases in the brain that can cause that type of issue. Now, I'm assuming the neurologist would have ruled out all those things because that's really their job is to make sure it's not one of the more concerning things and then kind of leave the baseline stuff. Have you had any type of treatment at all, like physical treatment? I've had, uh, I've gone to a chiropractor, I've had acupuncture, I do massage, uh, all of it. But, uh, I mean, I get some relief from this medication, mm-hmm. but uh, until I started taking it, I had no relief. So the only thing is it happens less frequently, but it still happens every day throughout the day. And depending on how I move my arm, it happens sometimes instantly. Right. And uh, so what, what is, it's your left, you said your left? Right arm. Right, right arm. arm. And is that your dominant side? Yes, it is. Is there something that you're repetitive, repetitively doing day in and day I mean, out? No, I mean I have an office job, and okay. to adjust, I've been using, I've switched over my mouse to my left hand for the past six months or so because mm-hmm. I can't use my right hand; it'll, it'll go numb if I use it too long. Okay. But besides that, no, nothing, nothing really repetitive. No. Yeah. Well, again, sitting all day is repetitive in nature as well. So. Um, I, I just kind of, so I, I mean, I think I'd need to assess you, Sergio, in order okay. to honestly figure out or, or start to try to figure it out. It, you know, the good thing is if you're having all those other types of tests and nothing's coming back, I feel more confident in saying that it's nothing, you know, overly serious. And it's probably more a functional issue where, where the nerve is being entrapped in muscles and things, depending on the things you're doing day to day. And although you, you know, you switched over the mouse to the left side, maybe there's other things that need to be. Uh, switch from a from a functional perspective in life, the way you're driving, the way you're sleeping, and all those things need to kind of be assessed in order to get to the bottom of it. Follow up anytime, one 855 doctor Lou D-R-L-O-U, info at paincarecanada.com. Still more time for your phone calls here on air till 12 o'clock this afternoon, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Dr. Pancho, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Now right there is activity level, four-hour concerts for a year and a half. Springsteen knows how to keep him fit, man. <laughs> that guy is absolutely crazy and fantastic. Get to uh, Reza. Hey, Reza, how are you? Hi, how are you? Good. What's going on with you? Good, good. Just, uh, I'm a guy, five years ago, I'm coming to Canada, in Canada, and just I started moving um, uh, art working like a moving company. Oh, and yeah. And I got damage from my disc. L5, L4, S1, L5. Mm-hmm. And I got three epidural injections. And 
Last time I saw my specialist, they said it's the only way I have to get better I have to do surgery. But I'm not sure yet what okay. I do. And I'm very <laughs> confused right now. Surgery is good for me or no? Every day I have pain. My right leg is not very good. Yeah, so... so I'm again, still working again. Yeah. I'm doing work. Yeah, so again, it's the same type of scenario. In order for me to comment on whether surgery is the best option for you, I need to see you, I need to assess you um, in order to figure that out. I can't just generally say whether, yes, surgery is your option or not. I don't know enough about your case. All I really know is that you have back pain. Um, I don't know the exact causes. I mean, you're saying that there's L4, L5, but again, what's at L4, L5, S1? I need to understand, is it disc herniations? Uh, is it stenosis? Yeah, so... I saw a couple of time specialists and I did three time MRI and they said me my disc is coming out to push my nerve and then I'm not feel very well my leg. Right, okay. And but two of my discs, one is S one L five and L five L four. Okay. This is the my big problem and big issue. Yeah, have you done any type of therapy? Yes, uh, six months therapy, yeah. expansion and uh, uh, yeah, again, I would have to assess you. I'm unsure on whether I can't comment on whether, you know, surgery is the option you should be taking uh, because I don't know enough. I don't know. I need to also physically assess what are your, you know, are, is there any neurological deficit, the functional limitations? I need to look at the images or the report to understand exactly uh, what's going on. But you know, I, I, I hear you on, I think most people would want to try to avoid surgery if they can. And I'm not sure I have to see if that's, if, if you can avoid it or if that's your best option. What I can tell you is that oftentimes the one thing that people don't do is the good rehabilitation program, which are the right exercises day in and day out for managing that type of issue. So I'd be interested to, you know, to assess you and, and, and go from there. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Thanks. Reza. Appreciate that. Uh, 1-855-55-DR-LOU, D-R-L-O-U, and again, info at paincarecanada.com. Hey, Harold. Good morning. Hi. What's up? Um, what happened is, is for the last two months, um, I've been getting a, it, start, it starts off with a chill, and then the chill goes up to uh, mm, it's just mild fever stage, Mm -hmm. And with a dry cough, and I have to take medication to to get it go to get it off. And then when I do that, like a two Tylenol, I sweat, and and next day come back again, and next day come back again, and so it went from until now. So I did um, I did uh, uh I had a little enlarged prostate, but that is okay now. It, well, I I'm asking the urologist for that, um. I have an infection in my testicle area, but it seems like it's gone. But and they, t they give me um, a culture blood test that's negative, a chest X-ray is negative. I don't know what and what and what and what again. Everything is negative, mm. but the fever is still there. Have you had blood work? Yeah, culture blood test, regular blood test, malaria, TB. So they everything. they've checked you out from every perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I that's a, it's a what's your question for me? Are you you want me to tell you what it is? Because obviously, that's going to be impossible for me to tell you what it is. I I don't know what, what could be causing all those things. Um, you know, have you had any significant weight loss in the last little bit? Um, I had a 
I had about 10 pounds weight loss because I changed my my eating habits because they tell me I have pre-diabetic. Okay. Have you had any night sweats, bad night sweats? No, no, no. It's only when I take the tablet. Any uh, lumps, bumps on your body, like any enlarged lymph nodes, anything like that? No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would encourage you if it's still happening. Obviously, you've seen your family doctor about this. I, I would go back. Obviously, ongoing fevers and a dry cough for that long is is concerning and, and needs to be investigated as to why. I mean, the dry cough could be a lot of things like seasonal allergies, things like that. Uh, that one, you know, as a standalone, I wouldn't be overly concerned about. But definitely, you know, ongoing fevers. You know, for me, that's a red flag. That's that's something that I, I think needs to be investigated further. And I think uh, your family doctor is the best person for that. They know your history. And, and you know, if, if they've investigated everything and they think there's nothing there, then then so be it. But I, I would definitely, from from my perspective, it sounds like a, a bit of a red flag. And I, I would definitely be going back and, and letting them know that it's still happening. So um, I, I keep going at him all the time, all the time. And he keep telling me, don't worry, it will go away. Nothing wrong with you. But don't worry, it will go away. Mm-hmm. But I, that's not I, very satisfying. Though, yeah, that, I yeah. mean, so again, I can't comment on, opinion on how Pete, yeah, exactly. I think at that point, you know, uh, maybe ask him to refer you to a specialist or, or, or him or her or go see another walk-in doctor uh, somewhere. But, you know. A, a specialist in what field? Well, yeah, that that's a harder question. But <laughs> I think it comes down to that. You know, if it hasn't gone away, I would ask him, at, or is it a him or a her? So I, I refer to them properly. Yeah, yeah, it's a him. Yeah. So I would say when he says it's going to go away, don't worry. I would say, well, how long do you want me to not worry for? Is it yeah, one month, six weeks, 10 two, years, two months? Yeah. At what yeah. point do I start to worry? Because, uh, I mean, I think I think it needs to be more specific than just don't worry. So um, it, it gets so frustrating that I went to emergency. Mm-hmm. An emergency take another blood culture test right there, mm-hmm. and um, malaria and TB again, and a chest X-ray. So the chest X-ray, everything came back negative. Do you have any pain anywhere? No, no, no. So in the meantime, he told me, um, take these two antibiotics right away. One is three times a day, one is twice a day, because he's suspect. He's not sure. There has to be any safe side. He suspect it could be a pneumonia. Okay. So, so then he sent me for an ultrasound of my heart. And right now I'm waiting for that result. But the girl who took the she said, don't worry. In her opinion, everything yeah. is normal. So far, he's negative across the board. So Yeah. I, I, again, Harold, it's, it's a tough one for me. Uh, not my specialty for sure when it comes to those types of things. Uh, I, I would, again, continue following up with the family doctor. It is their job to be your gatekeeper um, yeah. and not just dismiss your concern. And follow up with us when you find out because he seems like an otherwise healthy dude. Yeah, right? if everything's yeah. coming back, yeah. It's... More of your phone calls after a short break as we get down to the last few minutes of the show. The Dr. Payne Show, Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Just about 11.52 here on your Saturday, uh, looking up till noon, till the end of the show. The Dr. Payne Show, uh, by the way, free consultation. Consultation is what it is. It's quick. Tell me what's wrong, what's bothering you, and we'll hook something up. one 855 doctor Lou D-R-L-U, or info at paincarecanada.com. I think I'm pretty accurate on that. Yeah, and, and quick doesn't mean dismissive either. Right. Like, I could talk to people for 10 or 15 minutes and you know, go through a lot of things. But again, when it comes to the specific, like, the, you know, the 
the free consultation is essentially just an extension of this radio show. People are calling right. me and, you know, the caller we just had, I'm saying, go back to your family doctor. And then other callers, I'm saying, you know, come in and, and see me because I need to assess that. But, or sometimes I tell people, yeah, you're on the right track. Sounds like you're doing yeah. everything right. So, so consultation's not an assessment. Let's separate those. No, two, and, right? and yeah. most people do realize that. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Okay. We'll get to another call here as we have some time. Hi, Diane. Good morning. Hi, good morning. What's going on with you? Um, I have the middle finger of my right hand is numb, and it, it ha- I get quite a bit of pain in it. I asked my doctor about it. He said it was arthritis and just to take glucosamine sulfate. Okay. How did they come to the diagnosis of arthritis? He just said it's the most typical finger for arthritis to develop. Okay. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love some of the stories, eh? That it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I mean... Again, any type of numbness, tingling, you know, again, when the previous caller, when we talked about the ulnar nerve, you're talking about the middle finger, which depending, is it at the top or the bottom of the hand? Like, is it on the palm or the top? It's um, right through the finger itself, uh, mainly from the knuckle yeah. Okay, yeah, so I mean, it could be the median or radial nerve. Um, The next question, again, becomes what... Is there impingement on the nerve at the wrist due to, yeah, maybe something like arthritis, but the way you diagnose arthritis is with an x-ray or some type of imaging. Could it just be tight muscles uh, somewhere in the arm? Could it be a a problem within the neck itself? Could it be a problem in the brain? Again, it doesn't sound likely. It sounds like, you know, it's, it's probably one of the more benign conditions, but to just simply say it's arthritis without assessing it, I mean... I don't know if that's if that's uh, if they've done their due diligence on that one is all I can say. Uh, but I'm happy to assess that for you, Diane. If you want, you can come in. Uh, we can take a look at it and and see. You know, he or she may very well be right. They it might be arthritis, but I don't think you can just look at somebody and and you know not take an image to say yeah it's arthritis unless you have severe change. Like are your hands like are there severe changes in your hands? Bony changes no. in your hands? No. Yeah, so, you know, sometimes people that you see with rheumatoid arthritis, they get deviation in their yeah, fingers. You, you could see that that's probably arthritic. Uh, but yeah, again... You can't see anything. There's no heat in my finger. There's uh, just the numbness and occasionally pain. Okay, and it's only on that... Where is it, the right hand, you said? It's the right hand, yeah. And any numbness tingling anywhere else in the body? No. no. Yeah, and anywhere else in that arm or just that no. middle finger? Just yeah. Finger. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it could be could be carpal tunnel, like where the where the median nerve gets entrapped through the carpal tunnel. Again, it could be muscles in the forearm that are tight. What type of things do you do day to day? Um, I'm in fitness, so um, I'm lifting weights. Um, I'm also on the computer uh, yeah. doing all kinds of different things. Like yeah, so you're things. using your arms and your muscles a lot. So again, it might just be uh, something more like a myofascial uh, type. Any neck pain? No. No. Yeah, I, I mean, again, I need to assess it. I would venture to guess at this point it sounds like it's somewhere in the extremity and it sounds like it's probably more muscular related. Uh, are are there things that you've noticed where it happens more often and or it doesn't? Um, more so if I'm, it sounds funny, but if I'm, um, if I'm making an ice cream cone and I'm using that finger, I'm putting pressure on that particular finger when mm-hmm. I'm using a scoop. Yep. That's, and I, I notice it then. So if I'm putting pressure on the finger, I notice it. And it's quite painful if I put pressure on it. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you know, sometimes you can even have things like ganglion cysts in the hand that are pushing on the nerve, and those sometimes need to be drained. There's a lot of things. I mean, you'd often feel like a little cyst in the hand 
um, or something like that. But again, I, I just I think the, the the part to highlight in this phone call is that your family doctors or whoever your healthcare professionals are shouldn't you know diagnosis should be done based on more than just hey I have a symptom and okay well here's the answer like yeah. at the very least you know move that area around uh, maybe some entry level type of things like uh, an X-ray before you can tell someone it's just simply arthritis but yeah come see me Diane and we'll try to get to the bottom of it Diane one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U or info at paincarecanada.com. there you go last incredible eh? good day incredible yeah. that that happens all the time that yep. people are just all- and, and that's not just family doctors. That could be their chiros, their physios, mm-hmm. whomever, that people are just dismissed like that. That they're just, you know, they tell somebody a symptom and they say, yeah, well, that, you know, that's just this. It's Thanks. just arthritis. It's like, well, how do you know that? You know, like, yeah, it may very well be the most likely cause in the population. But, you know, one thing I've always said is is stats don't matter when you're that one in a million, right? Like, that's right. Like, if you're that one person, you don't care that 99% of the population doesn't get that pathology. But if you're that 1%, what does it really matter? So I, I think it, it's sad. It's, I, I don't know. I, it's, it's something that does bother me to some extent. And I think it's due to a lot of things. A lot of times, different types of doctors, healthcare professionals are saturated, they're busy. But I think it's a disservice to dismiss people because you might be missing something serious, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I think that that's important and, and, and you shouldn't be doing those things or, if, you know, like the Harold, that phone call, like, fevers for two months and just go away it should go away on like we're not talking about like someone saying my knee's a little bit sore fevers fever is a a big sign yeah that's a that's a red flag to me like fever is a red flag i had a patient that came in that you know had developed back pain same type of scenario family doctor said no it's nothing you know it's just regular back pain take some pain meds Mm -hmm. started coming back in saying no my pain's getting worse my pain's getting worse no no it's fine go away go away Coming back in, all of a sudden he had lost, I think he said something like 20 kilograms. And wow. Yeah. And so it was like, uh, you got back pain and 20, almost 40 pounds uh, that you've lost. Something more than just simple back pain. Uh, they took an x-ray of this guy. The x-ray looked clean. They sent him away again. Comes back, uh, says, listen, this isn't getting any better. He decides to go to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. They do a CAT scan. They see that, you know, a couple vertebrae in his back totally destroyed. Initially, they thought it was bone cancer. Um and they told him, like, it looks like it's bone cancer. Like, you you have some type of bone cancer, and, you know, we're going to need to see a neurosurgeon. Mm-hmm. After a few days, a few more testing, they end up finding out it's osteomyelitis, which is infection of the bone. So wow. somehow bacteria got in there and started destroying this person's bone. But, you know, again, if if it's not just dismissed where it's like, yeah, yeah, go away, go away. You know, you may have been caught earlier. Yeah. That's it for another week. And you need to get a hold of after right now, for instance, one eight five 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 Doctor Lou D R L O U and info at paincarecanada.com. Till next time, Dr. Pain Show, Global News Radio, six forty Toronto.